0: Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, episode number 110. Today we have a special bonus episode on the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast with a very insightful backstory for how we came to meet our next guest. But first, if you're new here, my name is Andrea Samadhi, I'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience research, along with high performing experts who've risen to the top of their field with specific strategies or ideas that you can implement immediately, whether you're an educator or in the corporate space to take your results to the next level because we know that if we want to improve our social, emotional, and cognitive abilities, it all starts with an understanding of our brain. So here's the backstory. I first heard our next guest on Dr. Daniel and Hannah Amon's Green Wars Away podcast right at the start of the pandemic. So it was last May of 2020. The speaker was talking about a five-step process to managing trauma. At the time of this interview, many people around me were just beginning to feel the stressors and pressure of this global pandemic, and I began to pay attention to what the speaker was saying. I usually listen to my podcast early morning, and I take notes on my phone, so I began writing notes about what I was learning. The speaker caught my attention because she mentioned she'd spent 25 years in South Africa In the worst areas working with local schools and community centers where she would teach them about their brain and their mind and her work was having such an incredible impact on those around her that she would fill these rooms with standing room only now i came from the speaking industry working with Bob proctor seminars so i knew she had to be doing something outstanding to draw this much attention so when this podcast episode ended i actually just went back to my work life interviewing other authors. And I didn't think of reaching out at that moment because I was working with a publisher and my schedule for interviews had filled up. So I wasn't looking to put anyone new in the queue. But then I had an email from one of my LinkedIn contacts. His name is John Prusha from Atlanta, Georgia. And he's someone I hear from occasionally. When he enjoys certain speakers on the podcast, he gives me feedback. And sends me his thoughts and ideas. And one day he sent me a private message and he said, have you ever considered reaching out to Dr. Carolyn Leaf? And at the time he sent me this message, I was swamped with the line of a guest and wasn't looking for anyone, but I take every interview's suggestion seriously. So I wrote down Dr. Leaf's name on my desk and I went back to work as usual. And a couple of weeks later, I was working on this character book that I'm creating And I was looking for some headings to go along with the lesson that I'm creating. So for each character trait with something like attentiveness, I'm looking for, you know, the ways to describe how we learn about the attributes. So my first heading is think. And then I've got some tips on how we can think about being more attentive. Then the next heading is learn. The actual lesson on attentiveness then the next heading is take action and there's an activity on how to implement attentiveness into your daily life and then i was thinking well what happens after we get these character traits what's going to be my last heading what do we actually attain and so whenever I need to learn something, I'm, I'm searching for a word. What, what happens when people, after they learn a new skill? And so I'm thinking, uh, they think, they learn, then what do they do? So I typed that into Google, think, learn, and Dr. Carolyn Leave's book comes up, Think, Learn, Succeed, Understanding and Using Your Mind to Thrive at School, the Workplace and Life. If you'd been in my office, you would have seen me glance at my notes on my desk as my brain processed, hey, wasn't that the same person who John Prusha from LinkedIn asked me to contact? And so I typed Dr. Leif's name into my notes on my phone where I take all my podcast notes, and she came up under the Brain Wars Away podcast. So I put down what I was doing and immediately emailed her offices to request her being a speaker on the podcast. And I don't believe in accidents or that things happen by chance or luck. I believe when there's an opportunity that we can easily miss it if we're just not aware. And I really should have reached out to Dr. Leaf the minute I knew of her background working with education in the brain Um, But then what happened was I did hear back from her offices, it was from someone named Jessica, who as you start to study Dr. Leaf, you can see that her children uh, run her company and they do it at such a high level that from here on out, it was very impressive. So Jessica told me to follow up with Dr. Leaf, who was swamped right now in January And so, of course, I put a note in my calendar and even up on my wall to follow up with Dr. Leaf in January, because at this point I thought I'm I'm not going to lose this um, this contact or this connection. I definitely want to have Dr. Leaf on the podcast. So then I went on with my work and life and then I was contacted by Podbeam, Um, Podbeam's the host of this podcast. And they asked if I would be interested in moderating an event that was coming up in November of last year, and it was called Wellness Week. And I wrote back that, sure, I'd love to moderate this event. And I asked who I would be on the event with. And they mentioned that it was about neuroscience, mental health and coaching. And I'd be moderating with John Kim and Dr. Carolyn Leaf. So of course I did a deep dive into Dr. Leaf's work prior to that session. Loved every minute of speaking with her during Wellness Week, learning more, and uh, diving deep into everything that she's teaching. And then I recontacted her offices, and they were so efficient. Within three minutes, uh, her team, which was um, Jessica, referred me to Dominique, who referred me to the whole team, and we had this interview set up. So. Their team that consists of her children is just as high level as the team I worked with at Bob Proctor Seminars, highly efficient. So now you're getting to see the product of the work that she's done. She's definitely been working on this material with her children, it shows. And so today, I'm going to be talking about world-renowned neuroscientist and best-selling author, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and she specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. So since the early 80s, she's researched the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. She was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change, which we now know to be called neuroplasticity with directed mind input. So during her years in clinical practice and her work with thousands of underprivileged teachers and students in her home country of South Africa and in the USA, she has helped hundreds of thousands of students and adults learn how to use their mind to detox and grow their brain to succeed in every area of their lives, including school, university and the workplace. Dr. Leaf is about to release her new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress and Toxic Thinking. It's coming out March 2nd of 2021, where the solution is offered in five action oriented steps that she calls the neural cycle. And she shares practical application and strategies for readers, and it's all backed by clinical research and illustrated with compelling case studies. Dr. Leaf provides a scientifically supported plan to find and eliminate the root of anxiety, depression, and intrusive thoughts in readers' lives so they can build a healthy, new, and automated neural network in 63 days, the length of a time to properly build a new habit. So she says, I truly believe that mental mess is something we all experience often, and that it isn't something we should be ashamed of. This is my profession, and I still have to clean up my mind daily, she says, which is reassuring. The events and circumstances of life aren't going anywhere. People make a lot of decisions every day that affect us all. Suffering of some sort for you or your loved ones is inevitable. With that said, she wholeheartedly believes that though events and circumstances like we see with the pandemic can't be controlled, we can control our reactions to these events and circumstances. And this is mind management in action. Dr. Leaf leverages the strategies she's developed working with patients over the last 38 years to teach readers how to foster and cultivate the power of their own thinking and direct their own thinking brain changes. She also covers why mindfulness is not enough and how strategic mind management through the five steps can take the reader beyond mindfulness. So you can get a copy of Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. It comes out March 2nd. You can pre-order it if you're listening to this on March 1st. And I'll put all the links in the show notes, but I want to just give you a backstory of how we came across Dr. Leaf. And just how thankful and grateful I was to have this opportunity to interview her. Here she is. All right. Welcome, Caroline, Dr. Leaf. It's such a pleasure to meet with you face to face after working with you during Podbean's Wellness Week for a session back in November of last year. Dr. Lee, before we get to the questions I have for you, I wanted to ask if you could give us a quick history of how you came to study the brain. And how did you come to believe that if we direct our mind, we can actually change our brain like you had those two professors who said that that was such a ridiculous
1: concept. Can we start there? Absolutely. So thank you, Andrew, for having me on your show. It's so lovely to talk to you again. We had a great chat over the, in, in November as well, as you said, on Podbean in the Wellness Week. Well, my history, I've been in this field for... For almost four decades now so that really does age me and I was I was back in the 80s when I was researching the brain and I was doing my first few degrees and I've done four different degrees and they've all been around sort of medical neuroscience communication pathology and an interesting combination of degrees they don't even offer the one degree the first degree that I did they don't even offer anymore because they had combined medicine neuroscience communication pathology linguistics and psychology and neuropsychology and they put it all into seven years in four years and they trained us and well after four lots of us they stopped the degree because people were just not it was it was insane you were working literally eight days a week but the time I hated it but because of the pressure, but I am so grateful now that I did it because it opened my mind to seeing the mind and the brain and humans and thinking and feeling and choosing and thoughts and memory in such a different perspective. And you know, if I stuck to my original route, which was that degree, and then to go into neurosurgery, there's no ways that I would know what I know now. So I'm very grateful for that. So that's sort of that side of, in terms of education. And in terms of um, my we, how I got into the field of mind-brain research is as I was doing that degree, I was exposed to so many different viewpoints. And in the eighties, we were told the brain couldn't change, and I had a couple of neuroscience professors that actually felt that, hey, you know, this is maybe, maybe there's more to it. And I remember having a discussion and saying, but we are changing as humans, so I don't believe the brain can't change, and I'd like to research that. And it was actually ma- most of my professors said that's a ridiculous question, except for two that backed me, and they backed me all the way through my my um, honors masters and PhD research, where I ch- sort of challenging that the current that sort of philosophy that the brain can't change. So I decided to work with people with traumatic brain injuries, so people that had tremendous damage to their brain from. The, Car accidents, or something like that, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. People with damage from sports injuries and repetitive injuries. So I worked with those because there's not that much research in that area, especially at that time. Now there's a lot more, but in the 80s there was a dearth of research, and I thought, okay, well let me take the worst of the worst, where there's like literally no research, because they had basically said, why research it if your brain's damaged, your brain's damaged, doesn't matter what you do, it's going to stay damaged. So just teach the patients to compensate. So my argument was. Well, if I'm teaching them to compensate, I'm teaching them to use their mind. Why can't you teach them to direct their mind to actually change their brain and improve cognitive, social and emotional functioning, which is basically what I did. So I did some of the first research back in the 80s on neuroplasticity. And uh, just a nice story is one of my patients. And there's many, but, you know, this one just happened to jump into my mind at this moment. Um, was a sub, was a patient who was a very a very poor scholar. She did not do well at school at all. She was really like battled. And then she had a car accident, terrible. It was, it two, she, for two weeks, she was in a coma. And at that stage, they believed that if you were in a coma longer than eight hours, the brain damage was considered irreversible. So her parents had been told that her brain damage was irreversible, that she'd probably stay a vegetable her whole life. I mean, that's really what the doctor said. Your da- child will be a vegetable. The parents were very determined that this, determined to, to um, do whatever they could for this child. She can, they just stimulated her as much as they could. She came out of her coma and she started progressing slowly and the parents contacted me they heard about the research I was doing and they asked me about work with her and I was very nervous I was a very young scientist new researcher just new in the field and I said okay well if you prepare to like it's experimental you know we can do this and they said please and so she, she was one of the first like major subjects that I did which I turned into a whole research study and did years and years after that. Long story short, when I uh, started working with her, she was functioning at about a second grade level. And now at this stage, her peer group was in 12th grade. So she was, there was this huge gap and she was determined to finish school. I mean, you think, okay, here's her peer group that are in going into 12th grade. She's lost eight months of school. She can't even cope at a second year, second grade level. How do you close that kind of gap in you know a few months? And so she was determined, and we both sat down. Maybe it was our innocence, maybe it was our just pure let's just do this. But we both dove dived into this and I started teaching her the techniques that I had been developing, which are have I've continued to research over the years, in which I've put the most advanced version of them into this book. The cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, which releases tomorrow, which I'm super excited about, um, and basically taught her how to use her mind to change her brain, to overcome the brain damage, and to restore function. And within eight months, that young woman, not only did she catch up with her peer group she actually went back into 12th grade she'd missed half of the three quarters of the year but she finished it she wrote all the exams she passed with flying colors and what was super interesting was that she was a really 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 bad mathematician prior prior to the accident post accident with all the damage she became a mathematical genius plus all her other, other degrees that she went on to get a, a degree at university and, and and on to live a very fulfilled life and so on and that's one of thousands of Cases, and at that time I was living in South Africa and uh, in the apartheid era, the terrible, terrible apartheid era. And I was working in the very socioeconomically and politically and emotionally damaged areas, and it was traumatic. And I was working there three days a week because it was so disgusting what the government was doing, and I just couldn't handle that. And I decided that I would use my skills there to try and help teach people how to learn and cope with trauma so I brought those techniques parallel into that area and I was doing that for 25 years actually for three days a week I was going to those areas and then brought on Rwanda and then at the same time I was working with CEOs of companies and fancy schools and poor schools and training thousands of teachers and I did everything I could to work with communities with people with humans in the field of all walks of life exposed to all kinds of levels of trauma whether it was socioeconomic and political poverty war trauma sexual trauma brain damage alzheimer's dementia as much as i could anything that that was basically affecting people's ability to function because i wanted to understand mind and what is mind and how does it work and how do we trade how do we control it and what is the relationship between mind and brain and between mind brain and body and then also i wanted to understand what is mind in terms of thoughts and memories and emotions, because all these words are just thrown around in a big hodgepodge. And even still today, they are thrown around. So I decided it was high time to sort of collate all that and make it simple. And so 38 years later, with all these years, 25 years of clinical practice and 38 years now of research because I've never stopped researching. Did my most recent clinical trials um, in 2019 up to early 2020, and those are all have been analyzed, still being analyzed, written up in papers, and I've put the summary of them into this book in the first half of this book in a very simple way. I've even got the coolest brain images in color so people can actually see what the system that i've developed actually does for people i mean this is someone who's got a depressed brain and using my system within 63 days they were their brain had gone into incredible high levels of function so there, there was improvement on associate on a social cognitive emotional and intellectual level so in coming right back to the work with my that that patient i told you about who had the traumatic brain injury that plus other research showed that when you directly change your direct when you directly and intentionally understand how your mind works and direct it you can then direct the neuroplasticity of your brain because your mind changes your brain and when you do that you can improve your functioning now back in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands, I showed that you could improve it by 35 to 75%. My most recent research, it's gone up to 81%. So as I've refined the technique and improved it, and it's not even a technique, it's a process. You can put any technique in it. And I'll explain that in a moment, but essentially I've taken that and now try to make it as simple and accessible to help everyone because all of us are battling with the mental mess. If, If you're human and you're alive, you are battling with your mind because if you're alive, you have a mind and you have a brain and life is tough and there's ups and downs and be, none of us are exempt. So this whole philosophy today of mental health is for some and mental illnesses for some is wrong. If you're human, you're battling and it just goes up and down and, and different up and down the continuum. So there's a, a long answer to a, to a very nice question. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to answer so long.
0: I love it. And when we were on well, uh, the the Podbean's wellness week, I was taking notes and I had all these sticky notes and they they were like when you were going into the analogy and the metaphor that I'll get to in in a little bit, I started Writing them all out, and at the end, my desk, I just had to take a picture of it. I'm like, this is like, this is academics in action. Like, this love it. You have to
1: send me that picture. That sounds such fun. <laughs> I will send
0: it to, uh-huh. to Dominique because it was brilliant. At the end, it was like all these little pink notes everywhere. And then when I was making up my questions for you, I was uh, going back to my notes, but it was it was pretty powerful. And for me, i I've, I've actually done an episode on what is Mind versus brain. I worked six years with Bob Proctor, who built a whole seminar industry on the power of your thinking with regards to wealth, with regards to success. And I saw the importance of it for schools. And so that's where my work began back in the late 90s with creating content for schools. But I got such backlash because people would say, oh, it needs to be scientifically proven, which is where I came to put the brain in and the neuroscience. But what I'm seeing, would you agree that, that you can't have one without the other, that the, the, the mind, like you said, it directs the activity of the brain. So our thoughts, feelings and actions control our results, that control our conditions, circumstances and environment. So can we measure this
1: now? You know, there's been 150 years of research in the mind brain field and an integrative medicine, but it's just because of the split in science, which is always, it, it always happens where you have two different camps. And the one camp is that the brain produces the mind and generates mind, and brain is everything. And it's this biomedical model, and it's very dominant today. And it's been dominant for about 30 to 40 years. And then you've got at the parallel to that, you've got 150 years of work around where the sort of mind part, the human, the narrative of the human and the context and the life that you live and how you experience that is the priority. And then the, the physical basically houses that. So these are two different camps. But the camp that I'm in is the mind brain research camp, because it's actually very obvious if you think of it like this, in science, the hard question is considered, mind is considered the hard question of science. They lump mind under the word consciousness. So you'll see in the literature that they talk about the conscious mind or the conscious unconsciousness and as being the hard question of science, generally relegated to the, theor- to the philosophers and to the theorists, scientific theorists, people who deal with the theories of science and history and that kind of thing. And then also to the quantum physicists. Quantum physicists, very advanced when it comes to the mind brain understanding and that is because quantum physics is one of the most accurate and fundamental of sciences and you couldn't have classical physics without quantum physics so the two marry very nicely together and when you put the two together you are able to get a nice scientific basis for mind so what i've done in my work is develop a theory of mind which i call the geodesic information theory and in fact i also have a nice color simplified version of it in this book where i actually put a beautiful colored version of my theory with a very simple explanation and a lot of my other books, I've got simple explanations as well. But essentially, I wanted to develop a theory that would help people to understand what mind is and what brain is and what this relationship is and take away the mystery behind mind and make it easier because I don't believe mind is just consciousness. It's much more than that. And I also don't believe it's the hard question of science. I believe mind is the most obvious question of science. And yes, you may say to me, well, obvious because that's what you do, but it is obvious if you look at it this way. Mind is the source of everything. So when you wake up in the morning, your mind is the source of the first decision you make to grab your cell phone, talk to your spouse or your kids, or have that coffee, decide what you're going to eat for breakfast, what you're going to wear, how you're going to respond. Um, and throughout the day, your mind is driving. It's the source of your thoughts, your words, and your actions, because it's, it's your mind produces the thoughts, the thoughts are stored in the brain, the brain, then those thoughts, then are physical thoughts are then responsible for what you say and what you do. And at the same time, that feeds back in and is constant feedback loop is going. Another way to look at it is that you can you can go three weeks without food, you can go two to three days without water. you can go two to three minutes without oxygen but you don't even go two to three seconds without using your mind. So mm. your mind never stops it never stops during the during the day it even doesn't it never stops at night works differently at night but your mind is working 24/ 7. So that brings us to the question what is mind? And what is brain and how do they relate to each other? Now, do you want me to answer that or do you want to ask me another question before I dive into that?
0: Yeah, can Make you a comment on that? Me. And my next question is going to kind of lead into why it's so important that we guard our mind, even with regards to how our body works with how we're eating, if we're stressed and we're eating, if we could kind of go into that path.
1: Absolutely. So I've got some images over here. I have some. Props. Is this going to be video as well or is this some yeah, audio too? Video. Okay. Okay. So here's a brain in a skull, nice wake up call. And basically what we have is the brain, as we know, is an incredible organ. We've been studying it for years. The last 38 years, the research has dramatically changed. Um, but if you did, and I'm holding up a dead brain, a person's dead brain, we can stare at it all day, it will never generate mind, it will never generate what's happening now between us. So you as an alive person, you're listening to me, you're seeing things, the listeners are listening and viewing, that ability to process this interaction and life is happening through your mind. So the brain is therefore the receiver or the, um, um, or the, the responder to mind, so brain is easy to understand. It's these physical organs. It's 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 the main organ. It's got the left and right hemisphere. If you go inside, there's the different structures, almost hundred. Then there's the substructures. Then there's the neurons and the glial cells and the and 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 right down to the subatomic level of particles and waves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The brain controls the body, so we've got the brain and the body interacting. The brain and the body collectively are made up of thirty-seven to hundred trillion cells. So every Thought, every every time your mind is working, you are driving this physical. So this is the physical, and it's around about 1% of who you are as a human. So it's very important because without the brain and body, we can't express ourselves as humans. So I'm not saying that the body is unimportant by giving that percentage. I'm giving that percentage to help us to see the importance of mind. Mind is around about 99% of who you are because when you die, that goes and the brain and body disintegrates. No matter what you do, yes, you can preserve it, but it's not going to generate anything. So, the mind then we have to say, what is mind? So, the mind is the most simple definition of mind is that mind is how you think, feel, and choose. So, those three things I'm holding three fingers together. They don't They don't work separately. They work together. You are always thinking. As soon as you start thinking, which is all the time, you will feel. You never think without feeling. And as you think and feel, you choose. So on a non-conscious level, you're doing this at 400 billion actions per second. On a conscious level, you're doing it at about 2,000 actions per second, which is experienced every 10 seconds. Now, that's a lot of stuff that I've just said. So mind is... How you think, feel, and choose, and it's this energy force that we can understand using classical and quantum physics, and neurobiology and neurophysiology, and also neurochemistry. So there's a lot of ways we can see changes in the brain as a person is thinking, feeling, and choosing, and we can also understand that the field that's generated. So quant- there's been no no Nobel, Nobel Prize-winning quantum physicists and physicists, classical physicists that have done work on gravitational fields and how to measure gravitational fields. And they've shown that we live in gravitational fields, and that we generate gravitational fields. Einstein spoke about this back in in the twenties, when he, in the in uh, nineteen nineteen already, um, we are speaking about and it was it yeah, when was it around about then, um, we were speaking about the photons that we generate. So we are generating energy all the time from our physical body, but at the same time, we're not just generating; we're absorbing it. So it's as though each of us is surrounded by this this force, and it's not anything weird. I'm not talking about Star Wars. I'm not talking. I'm talking about hardcore. Quantum and electromagnetics, and um, the easiest way to understand this is to think of the experiment. You, you're a teacher, so um, ex- or if you st- I know you still do a level of teaching to help people. But think of that experiment that most of us have been exposed to, where you got a piece of white paper, and they gave you iron filings, and then they and they were all over the page. You just shake them all over the page, and then you bring a magnet and you put it in the middle, and suddenly there's this beautiful pattern that forms with the iron filings. You take the magnet away, the iron filings lose. the the pattern, you put them back and there's a pattern again. That is exactly what's happening with mind and brain. There's this force, these iron filings are this force and and it's waiting for a way of expressing. And as soon as you put the magnet there, the forces is, is there's 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 order and there's an expression because there's now a relationship happening between the iron filings and the and the physical magnet. That's kind of what our brain is. Our brain is like this magnet, and it's drawing in this, this our energy force. So Andrea's brain, Andrea's energy force, Caroline's brain, Caroline's energy force. And it's unique to each of us. So we're generating this force. So this mind is this thing that's kind of like all around us. We are still really in early days when we understand, understanding, but it's definitely got a lot to do with gravitational fields and um, that energy waves, these research is done where we see that you can actually, when you, when you talk to a person like we're talking now, that your energy waves can connect. It doesn't matter that we're talking via Zoom because there's a relationship. There's no space-time dimension when it comes to gravitational fields. So they would cross all the space-time dimension. And what would happen is that we are, our waves would be enhancing each other. So, like waves in the sea, when one waves on another wave, it gets bigger and you get the crests and the the crests and troughs, um, the crests and the troughs. So, that's kind of mind in terms of science, mind in terms of psychology is how you think, feel, and choose. So, those iron filings are this energetic field. And um, on a psychological level, it's think, feel, choose. And we are always thinking, feeling, and choosing. So, now there's another dimension, and that is that mind has got three parts. And the three parts are the conscious mind, which is easy to understand. When you're awake, you're conscious. So now our conscious mind is working. Conscious mind it has phenomenal power. It has something called veto power, where we can override. Where we can stand back and observe our own thinking, feeling, and choosing. We can observe our actions. We can observe people. We can we can make decisions. We can override decisions. We can change. We've got so much um, active power in the conscious mind. But the conscious mind doesn't work alone. The conscious mind is driven by you, your none conscious mind. So conscious mind and then non-conscious. N-O-N, not unconscious, not subconscious. Those words are used completely incorrectly by almost everyone. Non-conscious is the biggest part of us. It is this infinite quantum area of our mind where all of our thoughts right from In the womb, birth, life, experiences are stored as huge, big quantum forests of energy, like literally forests. And at the core of the non-conscious mind is our survival, which is our wired for love mode. So we have this optimism bias for survival. As humans, we wired literally are um, have a, a, have a desire for the 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 healthy, the healthy side of things. So managing trauma versus just keeping trauma is would be healthy. So managing and transforming trauma, um, identifying when we've got a toxic habit or identifying when we are people pleasing. I'm just throwing out any old thing. When we identify and change, that's healthy. That activates. That is doing on the wisdom part of us. So we have this in wisdom part of us and then we have on the outside we have all our life experiences in these little trees so just imagine this infinite forest in the middle there's a strip of this really healthy green trees beautiful rivers and just all gorgeous and then on the outside are all different color green trees and in between some dark trees so i'll show a little image of a tree just to get the tree image going and there's healthy ones and there's toxic ones Mm. okay so so now what are these things in the brain and the body and the and the, in the forest? So in the forest, there are these, these energy fields that, that we just use the analogy of trees. But in the brain, they do look like trees. So when you are using your mind, like right now, to make this really simple, right now I'm speaking, I'm showing you I'm showing you these props. So I'm sending you sound waves and electromagnetic light waves. Your mind, the iron filings on the outside of the magnet, are grabbing these by thinking, feeling, and choosing. So your conscious mind is consciously aware and you're consciously thinking, feeling, and choosing. As you do this, you're drawing on the power of the non-conscious mind. What is happening, so you're drawing up experiences. As I'm speaking, all kinds of thoughts are popping up from your non-conscious mind to your conscious mind. You're becoming aware of all kinds of things. That's evidence of the words I'm giving you stimulating this, okay? And they're coming up and down exactly like I'm doing here, but in any one moment, one, it's like this, like my hand moving sort of, that's the speed. So five to seven things will move up and down, up and down. And then sometimes we grab one, it stays there longer, goes down, the same one comes up. And so we use that that from the non-conscious mind to help us understand the incoming information. So the non-conscious mind is this infinite part that's awake 24-7. So at nighttime, it's also awake. Then you have the subconscious mind, which is the part, it's a bridge between the, this massive non-conscious that's going 24-7, intelligent, dynamic, self-regulation, and the conscious mind, which is only awake when you're awake. Um, and you, this, the subconscious is the bridge between the two. And the way we can experience the subconscious is as information, as I'm talking, and as you becoming aware of the thoughts popping up, that's the subconscious mind, the non-conscious mind moving through. So it's that just aware level is the subconscious mind. None, what is unconscious? Unconscious is if you knocked out or if you have an anesthetic or something. So unconscious is in, the, in a physical, more physical realm where there is a forced, um, con- a forced taking away of the conscious mind. But at, in any one moment, like when you're awake now, your conscious, subconscious, and non-conscious is working. Tonight when you go to sleep, your non-conscious is working. Your conscious and subconscious go to sleep, and that shifts in your brain. So then when we take this mind of this conscious non-conscious, subconscious thing, and we're processing all the words that I'm saying now and everything you're seeing, what does that mean? It means that you're thinking, feeling, and choosing in cycles. And as those, as you do that, you're generating energy through the brain, and the brain is responding chemically and electromagnetically and genetically and on a quantum level, which means that it takes all this energy that's the mind is sending through it and it converts it via all those means that I've just described chemically um, genetically, et cetera, and electromagnetically, and makes little proteins and those proteins group into branches called dendrites and they grow on the top of neurons. So my words are being converted into little branches in your brain, branches made of proteins and my words and the images of vibrations in the proteins, in the branches. And the, as I speak more, so you grow more branches, but first you grew the roots because the tree can't not have roots. So as we started speaking and you introduced me, that gave the context of that. So that was the seed and the seed was Dr. Caroline is going to talk about mind, brain, mental health, mental mess, blah, blah. So that was the seed. As I started speaking, you're growing roots. And each time I give you more information that adds to the tree trunk, it's a little bit bigger and you grow more branches, more roots, branch, um, trunk branches, roots, branch, trunk branches. And so you keep growing the thought. And this is a temporary thought. If you don't do anything with this information within 48 hours, it's gone. It converts to heat energy. But if you go and get the book and you read this information and you keep going, you actually will um, stabilize this memory over a period of 63 days. So it takes 63 days to turn that memory, those, sorry, the memories in the thought into something that can influence your behavior. So the implications are massive. If I want to change my behavior, I need to draw on the power of the non-conscious mind because there's all the cycling going on in the non-conscious mind that is helping me, that's working with the conscious mind to take stuff and process it into these trees in my brain. In other words, change my brain, which is neuroplasticity. If I can control that thinking, feeling and choosing in the conscious and unconscious subconscious mind connection and direct the neuroplasticity in the brain, then I can change my behaviors. I can break those toxic habits. I can get unstuck. I can stop the people pleasing. I can deal with the traumas of the past and change how they out into my future. I can deal with the acute traumas, the things that just hit us and blindside us. I can build good habits. I can brain build. I can learn how to learn education-wise at school teachers. Brain building is one of the most powerful mental health tools on the planet. In other words, I can manage my mind, which means I can manage my mental health. And that's what showed in my research that everything I've just said I've developed a system called the neurocycle after 38 years of advanced research to help you to grab the the non-conscious mind, make it work with the conscious mind, through the subconscious mind, to manage how you think, feel, and choose, to direct the neuroplasticity of your brain, to improve, improve your social, emotional, cognitive functioning by up to 81%, which means you managed anxiety, depression, and all those things. And I have shown that scientifically and just confirmed it again in my trials and Gosh, I've seen a lot, and there's a million beautiful body things we can talk about that are great benefits of all of this.
0: So it caught my attention when you were talking with Dr. Amen, and you were talking about how when we're anxious and we're eating, that the pancreas doesn't secrete the peptides needed to digest the foods. And I thought about all the times I see, you know, people not sitting down to eat a meal, Or even in my house, sometimes someone will grab something and I'm like, sit down and eat. And now I thought, now I've got a reason why. But what what happens when we don't use our
1: mind correctly? And what does it do to our body? Such a good question. So relating just to that particular concept of the pancreas, essentially your mind drives everything. So if you think of it, here's your mind, this around here wherever it is in the gravitational field, unique to you, and it's influencing every cell of your body, including your digestive system. So your digestive system starting at your mouth and going all the way through down to your colon and then going into the cells of the body. So that process is controlled by mind. So in order for, literally every bite that you put in your mouth the state of your mind, which goes through your brain is going to influence how well you digest and assimilate that food. So the particular example I gave is that the pancreas is one part of the digestive system. And the pancreas plays a every as as does every part of the digestive system the pancreas plays a role in helping to assimilate the nutrients from food so that for you into your cells assimilate means take that food convert it into it to the accessible form and get it into the cells so that the cells can function and um that 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 process is controlled by your state of mind so you may be eating a farm to table organic sustainable wild salmon and great salad and whatever but you're sitting there totally anxious about your work or worrying about a relationship or totally worked up about something that state of mind will reduce the pancreas's ability to secrete the 20 different neuropeptides required to digest that food. And that will then reduce the assimilation up to 80%. So you can lose up to 80%, if not more, of the nutritional value of that food because of your state of mind. So that's just one example. And this is this mind-body integration is very real because obviously your brain is wired for love. We see that from neuroscience. There's nothing in your brain designed for negativity. So people often talk about the negativity bias and that we designed to be drawn to negativity there's not even that's not even good science we are wired for survival negativity is not survival so we see that there is not a single structure pro, right down to the protein level to the subatomic level wh- that um, is designed for anything that's in the toxic zone so unmanaged so if you have hatred that's there's no place for this in the brain so it's going to create brain damage you're going to build a toxic thought which creates brain damage a talk to- you hate someone and you're getting mad about someone that creates there's the seed the roots There's the branches. So that's the hatred thought with all of its memories. Every branch is a memory. So one hatred thought, one thought can bring up multiple memories. This is causing brain damage. The immune system of the brain reads this. Toxic thought, in the same way as it would read something like the COVID virus. So, you know, with a COVID virus or any virus, the immune system of the brain and body send out immune factors to fight that virus, and we see that as inflammation in areas of the body. And inflammation is a protective function that is actually saying, "Is the body fighting against the virus?" And once it's fought, once it's won the fight, hopefully it wins the fight. Then the the inflammation decreases. Um, and but when it comes to the the mind, it's the same thing. So in other words, what I'm saying, and this is profound, your brain immune, brain's immune system sees a thought of hatred towards someone or whatever, jealousy, envy, worrying, whatever, unmanaged any of those toxic things as like a virus. So it sends out immune factors to the site and increases inflammation. So in my most recent clinical trials, I showed um, wh- what we did was we took people and we did a what's called a random controlled trial. I'm gonna say this very simplistically. We had a control group and an experimental group, but uh, the control group didn't get any mind management. But the experimental group got the neurocycle, which is what I wrote, which which is the neurocycle is the name of the system I've developed over 38 years that helps you get your mind, the thinking, feeling, and choosing in the conscious and subconscious working properly, drawing on that dark forest I spoke about earlier on, so that you can direct the neuroplasticity of your brain. So in the in the experimental group, they got the, they got the mind management neurocycle. The control group didn't. Both groups were uh, tested in terms of the narrative. So first of all, who are you? What's your story? What's your context? So important, so overlooked in the current mental health system. The current mental health system sees you as your brain and sees your brain as having the, is the reason your brain is like this genetically or neurobiologically, and that's why you have depression or PTSD and it's an illness. That's the wrong philosophy. It's also the incorrect science. It's not correct. And it's actually caused more people to get sick because it's created a whole lot of new problems Mm -hmm. so that your brain doesn't make you sick. Okay. Your brain responds. So your mind makes your brain damaged and that then will make you sick. So we've got to get, it's not that your brain makes your mind damaged. It's your mind damages your brain, damages your body, and then that feeds back into the mind and we get this very bad feedback loop going on. And yes, you can have um, you can have um, a traumatic brain injury where there's damage to your brain or tumors and things like that, or certain medications or things like Lyme's disease, which can cause neuropsychiatric symptoms. And that's definitely a, phys- a physical thing that is impacting the mind. But that doesn't, doesn't separate from the fact that you already have mind issues. So. So if you human, your, your mind is influencing your brain positively and negatively every moment of every day. In addition, you may have Lyme's disease or be exposed to black mold or exposed to chemical toxins or have a tumor, and that adds to the problem. But it's not the only problem. It's, it's just adding to. It's now compounded the problem. But if we remove all of those biological factors and we just look at a human in life responding, we have adverse circumstances happening. And that's our narrative. We have good and bad in our narrative. So in our study, we looked at the narrative as something that's overlooked. Back in the 60s and 70s, and Daniel and I were having a talk about this yesterday because him and our good friends, and we're always interviewing each other. And we were having a discussion about how he studied in the 70s. He's 10 years older than I am, and I was studying in the 80s, and he was still studying. We both of us were studying through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and we were saying how things have changed. Back then, there was a narrative approach. So we would I would work with the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the neuropsychologist, the nurse, all of us would work together as a team to help. Now, that's not really happening. It's everyone in the eyes. It's decentralized and it's everyone isolated. And it's, it, the first thing is if people doctors and things say mental health help, they're going to diagnose you on a symptom checklist. And I use some of those in my study and I showed how inaccurate they are. They're not at all significant in showing people's depression or anxiety. They simply show situational, how you feel in the moment, but they say nothing about your your state as a person overall. And um, so now we've gone from this holistic narrative approach to this very narrow-minded, you are your brain, and mental health is an illness like cancer. I mean, it's the most unscientific approach and has created such a problem where people are actually dying younger, 15 to 25 years younger from that. Now I explained that in the first part of the book as well, how the current mental health system is damaged, is broken, and how we've got to change the narrative and how um of how people are dying younger because of these lifestyle choices that from preventable lifestyle diseases. So what I'm trying to do in cleaning up your mental mess is show you that you don't have to be part of the statistic. You, can, you don't have to be sucked into the current mental health system and get more broken or be part of that statistic. You can actually reverse that and you can change that. So I'm putting in your hand scientific tools of how you can use your mind to change your brain to improve your body. Okay. So having said all of that, what we saw is we looked at the narrative. We did psychological testing, some of the traditional stuff they use in hospitals and found those so inaccurate. Developed, I've got another psychological scale I developed, which I talk about in the book, which is, actually shows what's going on in the brain. Then we looked in the brain, we looked inside the people's, the subjects' brains, and we used QEEG, which is, shows the energy responses in the brain which is a very accurate way of seeing what's going on. And uh, it's a fluid way of looking what's going on because your brain is responding. So we're looking at the response or the QEEG. And we look at things like how, what's the balance between the two sides of the brain? Cause you want balance, the more balanced they are, the healthier. You want high energy at the front of the brain. You want, you get different types of energy. You get a Delta, Theta, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, high, high, Beta and Gamma. And the, all of those have got to work together like a beautiful wave in the sea. So we look Look for those patterns. And when someone's very anxious, we'll see red spots through the middle of the brain. We'll see bursts of maybe sometimes the whole brain goes red. Um, and sometimes if someone's very depressed, we'll see tremendous blue at the front of the brain, which means low energy, red means too much high energy. So instead of having, for example, bursts of beta, high beta, which is what you want, there's a tsunami of high beta. Okay, so that's just and I show that within the book with those colored images. So What we saw was when we looked at the brain, if we tested all of our subjects' brains, and then we also looked at their blood. So we looked at like things like homocysteine, which show your inflammation levels. And as I said, when you have a virus, even a toxic thought or a virus, inflammation is sent for healing, but then you're supposed to heal, then the inflammation goes away. But if this isn't fixed, the inflammation stays there. So if inflammation stays beyond the time it's supposed to stay in an area of your brain or body, that increases your vulnerability to illnesses cardiovascular immune heart skin kidney liver everything is vulnerable okay so we looked at things like homocysteine we looked at things like cortisol which um, if it rises too high then dhea drops and that create that shows us that that, that combination of high cortisol low dhea shows us there's potential problems with your heart your brain your body's now more vulnerable um we looked at things like prolactin which is a hormone that males and females have that helps to show inflammation and where the people are, whatever. So in other words, you looked at lots of stuff. You also looked at the DNA. So in other words, you looked at psychology, story, psychology, brain, blood, and DNA. And if you think of the DNA strand and you pull out the DNA, you get chromosomes and chromosomes look like X's. And where you see my fingernails, those are called telomeres. Telomeres are basically a proxy for emotional, mental manage, mind management, basically. So how, how you're managing your mind is going to affect telomeres. Telomeres are very important for cell division. Our cells, we're making millions of new cells every second. So if these are not healthy, then the way our cells reproduce, which then translate into every cell of our body, are going to be not healthy. So, for example, what does that mean? At the beginning of our study in both experimental and the control group, we saw that people's chronological age, which is actual age, was different to their biological age. And um, so, for example, we had some people at the beginning of the study that were maybe in their early 30s or 20s, but their bodies, their body body ages were sometimes 20, 30 and 40 years older and sickly. So here you're 20 and you've got a a body of a sickly 65 year old. Obviously, if you're 20, but your body is a sickly 65 year old, you are so vulnerable to disease. But we saw that in the experimental group, we saw that gap changing. We saw the chronological and biological age matching within nine weeks significantly. So in other words, with mind management, no drugs. We didn't look at diet, not that I'm, anti. I mean, I'm totally pro-diet, but we just looked at one factor, mind management, because if you get your mind management right, then you'll get your diet right and your exercise, all those things will naturally follow. So first step is let's teach people how to manage their mind, manage the emotions of anxiety and depression and, and frustration and anger and burnout and toxic thinking and getting stuck. When you know how to mind manage that, then do we see changes? Yes, dramatic. As I already said, when over a nine week period, and I'll tell you why nine in a moment, but over nine weeks, we saw cortisol dropping, DHEA increasing, homocysteine dropping, all the things that show the biomarkers of inflammation and um, a risk for cardiovascular events, heart disease, brain disease, body you know, liver disease, whatever, all the different diseases. We saw all of that dropping within nine weeks to normal levels. We also saw the telomeres getting longer and stronger in nine weeks, which meant that their biological age was catching up with the chronological. And that means, that their body was healthier which is what you want improved immune system when you need that with COVID and everything vaccines and so on so we saw all of that but we saw on a narrative level people were saying you we saw in the brain okay let's just go quickly. the brain we saw rebalancing where there was total imbalance we saw rebalance where there was low energy we saw an increase in energy where there was low blood flow and oxygen in the front of the brain we saw increase where there was tsunamis going on in the brain we suddenly saw nice wave flow like you see on a beach from the big to the small to the wave breaking on the beach which is what we want to see that basic pattern and then it gets sucked in again so we saw these changes happening on a psychological level the the psychology all the scales were improving significantly depression dropping anxiety dropping up to 81 percent. and the most important was the person's narrative at the beginning of the study people were saying i'm clinically depressed i'm suicidal i'm burnt out i can't work i'm giving up on my marriage i hate life i life suck, all that kind of stuff by 21 days 3 weeks in they were saying i'm still depressed but i'm starting to see why so no so the language shifted from i am depression i am anxiety that is my identity to being empowered to say hey, I feel depressed still, and it's definitely a little bit better. I still feel depressed, but now I know why, and now I know what to do about it. That's huge. That's the pathway to empowerment. That is autonomy coming in, independence, control, et cetera. By nine weeks, that had stabilized, and by six months later, it was sustained. So they had a mind management as a lifestyle the control group had the opposite reaction. They had had all the awareness created and that's what we do with mindfulness, you create awareness. But if you don't do something with the awareness, which is what we did with the experimental group, but not the control group. So the experimental group were made aware and they had mind management. The control group were made aware through all the testing, but no mind management. And they they got worse. Everything was the opposite of the of the experimental group. Obviously, we gave them at the end of nine weeks, we gave them the neurocycle and they were trained in that. So they got that the mind management and they could stabilize. But the point here is that mind management is is key. If we don't manage our minds, which are it's working every three seconds. Remember, I said that your mind doesn't ever stop. If you, if that's the the underlying premise of the neurocycle that I teach in the second part of this book, is in very practical, simple terms, is that if you, if your mind is always working and if you can understand how it works then you can manage how it works if it's always changing anyway and if you don't manage it but it's still changing that means it's changing in the wrong direction so you may as well direct the change of your mind and therefore direct the neuroplasticity So it's a fundamental system that I've developed called the NeuroCycle over 40 years. And into that system, you can put all the meditation, tapping, havening, um, breathing, whatever technique you want. It allows, the system allows you to do whatever you're already doing, but doing it properly, because now you're doing it in, in correct, mind brain scientific mind neuroscience ways that it's done correctly so that you're going to actually be driving the process and it's not just random people that just meditate and just get awareness there's a lot of research showing how it's backfiring because if you have awareness and your thoughts come up you get very mindful that tends to bring thoughts up and now you're going to trauma because you don't know how to deal with what you've done so people often get worse that's why i'm saying you can't just have mindfulness you have to have mindfulness then that has to be gathered into awareness and then you have to do a process of reflection and writing and rechecking and and reactive reach you have to go through the actual process that your brain is doing anyway i mean sorry your mind is doing anyway on an unconscious level and your brain is responding and you direct that process and when you do that that is when you see major changes and you can it doesn't replace therapy it enhances therapy You go to therapy maybe once or twice a week. What are you doing with yourself the other six days of the week? Your mind is always with you. So here I'm giving you the system of how you can manage your mind more effectively to clean up that mental mess that comes every moment of every day. There's an opportunity for us to get into a mess and how to manage that. So that's kind of a big answer to your question. Well, I love
0: your visuals because... You know, the, the toxic brain makes me think, you know, there was this commercial back in the eighties that would say, you know, this is your brain on drugs and it was like all these eggs in a pan. I
1: know, I know.
0: And I'm like, that that didn't really that's help
1: not, me. Yeah, no. You know,
0: like, that, that's not a brain and, and I didn't really understand it, but you're explaining toxic thinking with the bad tree, the, the young yes tree. And so that's toxic thinking that, you know, we've all got it. But we've got to have strategies in place, which is your five-step neural cycle that's in the book. And there's more to it. There's, you've got an app that I actually just logged into. It's going to be called the neural cycle app.
1: Yeah, it's a neur- neural, cycle, it's, yeah, neural cycle app. Yeah, neural cycle app.
0: And so you explain how to do this. And can I just like go to exactly what is a neural cycle? Is Absolutely. it Absolutely. Is it like we we are worried about something? Because we all are. Like every day something new is happening. We've all got worries. I could probably name five or six things. And then you were doing this tree thing and I'm thinking, which worry am I gonna focus on? But then in the app you say, pick one worry. I'm like, oh, this is good. I'll just focus on the one I've been worried about the past six years. So pick one worry and then um and then you get a new perspective of the worry is this, is
1: this yes technical? Well, basically the neuros you exactly right. So if you think of the like you you spoke about a worry you've had for six years and you can decide if you want to give me detail or not, but let's just say it's worry X, whatever that worry is. So there's a tree that's been going for six years. So it's pretty well established because it takes three, it takes nine weeks to form a habit, not three weeks. Three weeks you get the a new tree built, but it takes another six weeks to actually stabilize it so it creates behavior change. So anything that's established has been there for longer than nine weeks. So something that's been there for six years is a pretty well-established thought that's definitely pervasive and impacting functioning and causing brain damage. So this is something that, and, and anything that's causing brain damage means it's causing damage in our mind as well, which is, you know, the iron filings on the outside of the magnet. So therefore the sub, the, the mind is going to, that creates an imbalance of energy and this is creating neuro- damage in the brain. And because we ride for survival, we're going to get warning signals. Your mind and brain and body will send you warning signals that, hey, something is going on. So worry X, whatever the the name of the worry, let's say it's worry about kids or something. So let's just say worry about kids. I'm just going to, that's the thought. But worry about kids is the thought. There's lots of memories. Look at all the branches on here. That means there's lots. So when you bring up that thought, there's there's all the associated memories, like trees are made of branches, and there's lots of branches in a tree. So if you look at a tree, you're looking at lots of roots and branches, the same thing with a thought. So it's not just, you're not just thinking worry, you're thinking of the concept of worry. But inside that, there's lots of memories that are the root memories, lots of memories that are the behavior memories and the emotions. So there's thousands of things that could come up related to that particular worry and what we have to do is start at the top of the tree to find that because you want to embrace process and reconceptualize so this thing will produce signals like alarms like alarm goes off and they are warning signals and warning signals we get emotional two types emotional and physical emotional things like anxiety and depression physical are things like reactions in our body so the stress response in our body so tension adrenaline rush heart palpitations that kind of thing so what we need to do when you think of that thought we need to first look at if you bring up the thought you create awareness as soon as you bring up the thought you're embracing it instead of shoving it down you're embracing it. Embracing means bring it into your fold. See it as a message, as uh, that that it's going to help you, as opposed to the current philosophy, which is, oh, that's bad, suppress it with drugs or something. Um, or just change the thoughts. Or just, you know, you try and change the thoughts. It's the white elephant in the room, the white bear effect. The more you try and change it, you can't change it. So I'm not saying that at all. I am saying embrace to see it as helpful. Yes, you're still depressed and anxious, but now because you are embracing it, you've shifted the power balance, you've gone from brain damage to healing your brain. So if I just say I'm anxious and worried, no, it's terrible, and stay there, I damage my brain. But if I say I'm anxious and worried, and it's awful, and I feel terrible, but I'm going to do something about it, I'm going to see this as a messenger, I'm going to grab that emotional warning signal, and I'm going to in my body and in the emotions of the depression, anxiety, stress in my body, and I'm going to see them as helpful messengers of some of an underlying cause they are symptoms of an underlying cause so i embrace and then i go through the process of processing and reconceptualizing so that's where the five steps comes in so first of all what am i worried about got that mm-hmm. focus and then i embrace I gather awareness, I embrace, which is gathering awareness. Gather, use the word gather, not just look at, not just be mindful of. Gather awareness of the emotional, physical warning signals. Gather awareness of your behaviors. What are you saying? What are you doing when you're in this worried state? What are your emotions that you're feeling? Get more specific. So from the main warning signals, you get more specific. What is your perspective, which is the tree trunk? Can you get a glimpse of some of the roots? So you gather awareness of this. So you get a big, big picture. Then you start reflecting. So that's the ask, answer, discuss. Why? 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 Why do I have this anxiety and depression? Why do I have those behaviors? Why am I behaving? Why am I responding like this? Ask, answer, discuss. Why? 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 Ask, and that's reflect. And then you write down what you've reflected on. You grab it because your brain is writing it. And as you write, you drag out of your depths of your unconscious mind. You Pull the two sides of the brain together so that you can get to the depths. And you don't just write in lines, you write in a metacog, which I explain in the book. And there's a video in the app, which enables your brain to work more efficiently so you can get to the core of the issue quicker. And then the fourth step is you then sort out what you've written, looking for patterns and, and triggers and so on. And then from there, and that starts bringing you towards the roots, you start finding the cause, the origin story. Because what you want to do is pull this tree out, turn it upside down, redesign it into this, that you can remember what you were, but now you're functioning in a mental space that is Reconceptualize. So, yes, I went through the trauma, it did do this to me, it stole years from my life, it, this and this and this, but now I'm going to change out how it plays into the future. But if I just keep shoving it down, it controls me. Now I've reconceptualized. So, the five steps are gather awareness, reflect, write, recheck, and active reach. The active reach is a little action that you do, which is like the full stop in a sentence, which st- closes the work for the day. You can't fix this in one day when you're fixing something, you've got to do this these five steps daily for 15 to 45 minutes over 21 days, and so you so you your fifth step is a, is an action step. It's it's a, a statement or a little action that helps you to be able to move forward, and so it could be something as simple as "I am not shame," or um, and and you set your reminders. The app has got a reminder function where you can set it to pop up seven times during the day, and there's a lot of science behind why seven, but essentially during the rest of the day, as it pops up like a reminder on your phone, you just read it, which brings it in your con awareness and then that's all you do and you go about your day, but that's all you do with that thought for that day. Then next day you start and you go to the next stage. So each day you go deeper and deeper and deeper. You're not you're not going to solve it on the first day. You're not going to get to the origin story. It's going to take you a full 21 days to, to, to do the whole reconceptualization thing. And then from days 22 to 42, you practice the final act of reach each day for about seven seconds. And that completely changes the energy levels that this is now strong and can move from your non-conscious to your conscious things that aren't strong will just get stuck in your non-conscious they don't have enough energy to jump through the subconscious into the conscious mind to impact your behavior so sometimes we do work but we don't do it long enough so we know we've done the work but it's not changing our behavior because we didn't do the extra 42 days so the extra 42 days gives it the energy to jump through and impact how we function and before you do those five steps, you do a bit of brain preparation. And that's things like breathing and meditation and a little bit of mindfulness or tapping or having whatever you want. In the NeuroCycle app, I give you lots of different examples. And I take you through a brain prep every day and a little mini lesson and five steps. And I do the same thing in the book, which is on pre-order at the moment with amazing bonuses, which we can talk about in in, in a moment. But essentially, you do brain prep, and then you go straight into your five steps. Now, that's that's a system that you do for the rest of your life. So you're always working on something. We've all got multiple traumas and toxic habits. And so you use this in the book, I teach you how to use the five steps to find, to deal with toxic traumas. um, So to deal with, um, acute traumas, long-term tra- traumas, shorter traumas, so big T trauma, small T trauma, toxic habits, um, things like people-pleasing and and um, imposter syndrome, and uh, how to deal with grief and guilt and um, shame, and all those things that catch us, um, over uh, cat- catastrophization, all that kind of thing. So um, you all uh, you use those daily. So any kind of thing that you're trying to change, you're going to work on daily over time. Then you can also use it for um, for in very quickly in five minutes or five seconds. So let's say that you are about to go and do an interview because you interview people and you have an argument with someone. Now you've got to get yourself together to smile in front of the camera. You can do a five step in that moment just to get yourself. So, essentially, yeah, you can use it. So, you can use it over to deal with the long term stuff, but you can also do it in the moment. So, if you get into an argument and you've got an now go on camera, you can use the five steps very quickly in that moment to help bring you back. And I call those neurocycle life hacks, and they're also in there. So, I mean, that's a lot of stuff, but basically, it's how to manage your mind and direct your mind. And we are able to stand back and observe our own thinking. And the book is on pre-order at the moment. It's released tomorrow, but there's 24 hours left for the pre-order. So if people go to cleaningupyourmentalmess.com, they can and and pre-order, buy your book wherever you, Amazon or wherever you buy books, Um, then register your your purchase on cleaningupyourmentalmess.com and they can get access to the bonuses, which is a three-week book club on how to neurocycle based on your questions that you ask. And there's a chapter for how to neurocycle for kids. And there's another science chapter. And there's some links to... There's all kinds of stuff. There's all. There's you get a free month on the app. There's all kinds of amazing bonuses, and there's only one day left. So, if your people pre-order, they can get all, access to all that stuff to help them. It's
0: incredible. I am so grateful for your time today, Dr. Leaf. I want to thank you so much for the years My of pleasure. research you've done, many years starting with educators, which is. Uh, a lot of the listeners on this podcast will do a backstory that will share, you know, all the past that you've had, all your research, how you've come to be where you are today. I want to thank you so much. I want cases. to highly recommend the uh, Neural Cycle app along with the book because I did log in. I've had a look at the app and. I've got a lot moving around in my head, a lot of uh, things that are solving already in just a couple of days of using the apps. And you can go to cleaningyourmentalmess.com to find out more as well, drleaf.com. And again, the book is coming out March 2nd. This podcast will release March 1st. So it will be out tomorrow. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And thank you so
1: much, Dr. Leaf my pleasure and just for your teachers there's a whole chapter on brain building which is the work that i did in education and how you can apply that in education and also how you can apply that in your own life to build your brain which we need to do every day which is one of the best mental health tools so just when you mentioned your teachers i thought i should just mention that as well but thank you for the interview and for spending time with me thank you so much dr leaf
0: you have a wonderful day thank you